a pleasure to be here. I find myself a little bit betwixt and between. I'm uh, a little bit younger than a lot of the honorees and uh, a little closer to the high school generation. I'm trying to understand what it must be like for the high school people here to hear the the number 1960 as a year. Uh, I guess it must be to them something like what to me 1940, uh, to hear 1940 was like. It, it's very hard for, for me to, to look back on the years when I began graduate school around 1966 or somewhere in there and to realize that that's about the time when you people were being born because I don't feel that different from you or that, that distant in age. Uh, but Obviously, that's not quite the case. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about something that, uh, some, some things that influenced me and led me to some of the uh, ideas that I'm pursuing now. Actually, I will be, when I go to Ann Arbor, I will be a professor of psychology. It's somewhat interesting that I uh, never really took any psychology in college. I took a... <laughs> one-quarter course at Stanford, and I will be a, I, I have been a professor of computer science um, at Indiana. I also only took one course in computer science, one quarter long, <laughs> and I'm also affiliated quite a lot with uh, philosophers and the philosophy of mind. I never took any philosophy whatsoever. <laughs> I was in graduate school a physicist. I don't do physics at all, and I'm not associated with physics. <laughs> uh, so it's very peculiar to me. Uh, my development is, is, is a very strange one. Um, I, I, I thought, though, that I, w I would tell you about one more field that has always intrigued me, which is mathematics. I started out in college uh, as a math major. Uh, and uh, spent almost all of my time in college exploring mathematics and um, certain kinds of mathematical structures uh, on a computer. So I wanted to, to describe a little bit how all of that came about and, and then to connect it up with something that my father said, which intrigued me. Uh, the way he described his, uh, some of his greatest discoveries was in terms of beautiful crystals. Well, his crystals were actual solids. Uh, I think that one of my favorite discoveries uh, involved beautiful crystals also, but they were not solid. They were mathematical crystals. And uh, so I'd like, to, I'd like to discuss that. But in order to do that, I should mention what I, how, how I got to it, which was uh, as a high school student, I was fascinated by certain very simple problems in number theory um, having to do with uh, the squares and the triangular numbers. Uh, squares are obviously numbers like 5 times 5. Everybody knows what a square is. Uh, it happens, though, that squares have a, another definition, which is uh, equally pretty. It's the, the sums of consecutive odd numbers. 1 plus 3 plus 5 plus 7 plus 9, for example, adds up to 25. And so you just add odd numbers, starting with 1, and you, all, you get all the squares. Um, if you, if, you don't, if you add up all the numbers, not just the odd numbers, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5, you get things that are called triangular numbers. And somehow I was uh, led to explore some connections between squares and triangular numbers. The question that I asked myself was, how many triangular numbers are there between consecutive squares? Like, for example, uh, the squares uh, 16 and 25. 
Well, let's see. There's exactly one triangular number in there, 21. That's 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6. Um, and happens to fall right in between 16 and 25. But what about between 25 and 36, 36 and 49, 49 and 64, and so forth? Turns out that they're always one or two. But, uh, and I, I sort of, uh, I was a, in a way, I was a very experimental mathematician, and I, if anything, that's what I still am, very experimental. I, I was much less interested in proving theorems than just in exploring. And I had a, uh, a table of, well, I don't know if it was a table or how I did it, I can't remember now. I think I, I did a lot of my work on punching buttons on a calculator. And I explored the number of triangular numbers between squares out extremely far. I got hundreds of terms in this series that just consisted of ones and twos. And I, ex I looked for its properties. I tried to understand it. It was not periodic. It didn't go one, two, one, two, one, two, or anything simple. Uh, but it, w it was very strange. It had a kind of a nice rhythm to it when you would say it out loud. I, I even remember uh, how it went uh, somewhat. Uh, <laughs> Uh, two one two one one two one two one two one one two one two one one two one two one two one one two one two one one two etc and that uh, that particular sequence eluded me for a long time and I tried to figure out what in the world is it doing uh, and uh, nothing that I not, nothing that I could do for a long time would uh, would yield the secret. But one day, I did something a little peculiar. I just, I noticed that it was completely composed of one-twos and one-one-twos. And uh, at one point, I just decided to count how many one-twos there were between one-one-twos. Because <laughs> the one-one-twos were a little bit rarer. And I noticed that there were always exactly either one or two of them. <laughs> And the sequence that 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 uh, that that pattern followed uh, was uh, very similar, <laughs> but it wasn't the same. It wasn't quite the same. Uh, however, it also was composed of one twos and one one twos. <laughs> and again, I counted the one twos between the one one twos, and lo and behold, that time I got back the original sequence. It was exactly the same thing. And that surprised me. That was really, to me, probably the most exciting discovery that I ever made in my life. Uh, it was a, a revelation of a certain kind of mystical order that I had not expected. And, and uh, I showed it to all my friends. My friends got excited. and <laughs> It launched me on a, on a long pursuit of sequences of that sort. The first thing that I began doing was I said, well, look, we have triangles and squares. What's the next thing in that sequence? And of course, you think pentagons or hexagons or something like that. So I said, well, what would a pentagonal number be? Because I didn't really know. And I invented a definition for pentagonal numbers and hexagonal numbers and so forth. And I tried counting squares between pentagons or pentagons <laughs> between hexagons. I tried all sorts of things. And uh, eventually, I discovered uh, some new ideas. They weren't quite as intriguing. but um, what really paid off was to continue to explore in a lot of di different di directions. I guess I made what I would call a, a set of variations on a theme. Uh, my original theme was this triangles between squares sequence, but it went off and for years I, I explored uh, sequences that were related to that. And one of the uh, outcomes from that work was uh, my first beautiful crystal, mathematical crystal, which was a graph that I called int. 
And the way that I discovered it was I, was, I had invented a certain function. That I don't want to go into the definition of the function, but I had, I, we had a, this is in the early 60s, and I was a computer, I was able to program computers at that time, and uh, they were not very common. Um, the big Burroughs computer that I did my first um, research on at Stanford, the Burroughs 220, this was around 1961, maybe 62, was probably about the equivalent of a Macintosh or something like that. Uh, and I did some um, exploration on this computer of this function. And one of the things that you could do is you could print out graphs of, uh, very crudely though, of, of things that you were trying to explore. You, you had 120, 120 uh, characters per line. And if you wanted to print out a graph, you would print sequences, uh, se uh, one line below another, and you would put an X in the right part of the line, and you would get an X tracing out a pattern. You know, the, everything would be blank except the X would be in the right place, and as the printer would go down, it would print out a pattern of Xs, which would be a graph. Well, I was exploring this, this function that I called int, and it, and it had a certain pattern to it, but I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And uh, uh, there was a little part of it that was a little bumpy, and I thought, what's that bump there? So I said, let me explore that part in more detail. And I went back, wrote another program to just plot out that little piece of it. And again, I got back a very similar pattern to the one I had just plotted for the full thing. Except that, well, it was just the same in it, but it had this one thing, another part that it had a bump that was slightly different. So I said, let me plot out this little part of this. And again, I, the third time through, I, I got the same graph back with a slightly different bump, and I realized that all these slightly different bumps weren't really different. It was just that the graininess, it was a very coarse-grained way of plotting things. And I realized that, it was, that I was actually seeing the same structure printed out in different, uh, in just different slightly aligned differently with respect to the grid. And once I realized that, I saw that this int graph was just composed of copies of itself nested infinitely far down. And this was another marvelous discovery, which was, a, I guess I would call, a first, my first uh, beautiful crystal. And it turns out that my PhD work in physics was, strangely enough, uh, connected with that. I found uh, I did not ever expect to have anything like that happen in my physics work. I, I thought I was far, far removed from those days of uh, exploration. But I explored the properties of a certain equation that, uh, that cropped up quite naturally in physics in my PhD work. And this equation, to my complete astonishment, when I plotted out certain properties of it on a graph, again had the same property of being uh, the graph was composed of copies of itself nested infinitely far down. I had a very hard time convincing my thesis advisor. My friends had instantly understood what was going on when I was a kid. They had instantly seen that and believed in these infinite nesting structures and in the beautiful crystals. My thesis advisor, however, an older man, was less familiar with these kinds of things and was extremely stubborn. And um, Though in the end he came around and uh, did believe in it and was one of my uh, staunchest advocates. And uh, he died recently, and I heard something that really thrilled me from uh, somebody who knew him. And uh, this, uh, I'll, I'll just conclude I was, uh, with this. I was, I was really touched that uh, she went in, she was a student at the uh, University of Oregon, where I was, and she went in to talk with him one day, shortly before he died, and he said, do you want to see the most beautiful PhD work that was ever done? It's right here. 
and he pointed down to a copy of my thesis, and that's the story that she told me, and I was very thrilled to hear about that. Thank you. think that advances in artificial intelligence are going to come from a perspective of building bigger and better computers or from a perspective of understanding how the mind works or do we have to approach it from both angles uh, I, I'm, I'm more of an advocate of the uh, understand of approaching the mind uh, I think you have to have very good computers in order to to do it uh, in order to in order to model what's going on on the in the mind we have to have very fast hardware with lots and lots of memory and we have to also learn how to build parallel machines and how to use parallel machines but the real idea is the the inspiration for the new kinds of hardware has to come from uh, somewhere and I believe that that the best source is trying to understand the fluidity of the mind and trying to mimic it um, that has nothing to do with whether or not we should try to create new kinds of computer architectures for other purposes of course for, um, uh, I mean, here we are in a place where uh, the CDC and uh, Cray are sort of the uh, examples of, of computer, architect, uh, computer architectures that have been developed that, um, that have very little to do with artificial intelligence, but nonetheless are extremely important in uh, all kinds of simulations. Uh, and uh, there are many types of architecture. I think that as computers develop further, we'll find that the architectures become more and more diversified, and there will be certain architectures that are more natural for doing artificial intelligence work in, and particularly exploring properties of mind. Um, so I would say that the, the direction for pursuing architecture for computers, hardware for computers, should be, it, it should come from or be driven by uh, exploration of the properties of thought. Thank you. Thank you.